Well, uh, good morning, everyone. We're so glad that you're joining us here today. Good morning to all of you watching or listening at Port Perry or Bowmanville or anywhere in the world. We're glad you're with us. Well, it's been another week of us as seekers, skeptics, and or followers of Jesus uh, living in a de-Christian, post-Christian environment. This week, pot was legalized across our country. I don't know if you heard this also. In Quebec this week, the crucifix was declared a historic symbol of a pastime and no longer considered a religious symbol anymore. This year, major cases were lost when it comes to religious freedom at the Supreme Court level. Even this week, I was talking to a good friend of mine on staff, and last week, she was hanging out with good friends, and they were just together, some Christian, some not, and they were playing a word association game at a cottage, and the word that came up was Easter, and her Canadian university-educated friends did not know that the word cross was associated with the word Easter. When we are truly living more and more on the margins, we can feel there is less and less connection to family, friends, bosses, and neighbors. We can even feel under attack. And when we are attacked as human beings, our instinct, of course, is to draw back. And so I want to again begin to remind us of what we are called to do as followers of Jesus. How do we as Christians live in the GTA well? How do we live in the country that we love called Canada? Well, the answer is this. We choose not to panic. We choose not to grow suspicious. We choose not to let fear win. We choose not to grow angry. We remember that God is at work. And bridges, by the way, are everywhere if you're looking Social media posts, blogs, books, at barbecues, over Starbucks, at a family table, the bridges are there. Let me demonstrate this. Last week I was hanging out with a neighbor, and my neighbor said, John, I had the most weird dream last night. It freaked me out. I think God is trying to get my attention. Maybe I should come back to church. I said, oh, by the way, God is disturbing you. That was from him. And just so you know, I'm preaching through a book called Daniel where people get dreams. God shows up and they're interpreted. Maybe actually you should show up in here. Let me tell you another story a few years ago I've shared before. A young adult was smoking pot in his basement, gets high as a kite, has an apparition in front of him like a demonic being, doesn't know if it's the pot or it's the real thing, in a panic, phones someone, another young adult from this church, and he says, I know you're a Christian, I know you deal with spiritual things, I'm high, what do you think I should do? And the young adult rightly said in our church, well, call on the name of Jesus. If the thing disappears, it was real, and you'll know Jesus is real too. So in high state, he called on the name of Jesus. The thing disappeared. He was at church the following week, radically converted, started reading at a university level, ended up marrying a worship director in another church and loves Jesus deeply today. Now, the reason why I want to share those two stories to you is this. Did you notice that I did not say to my neighbor, are you stupid? That's a weird dream. Too many tacos last night? No. Do you notice that the young adult rightly did not give a lecture on why cannabis is not good for you? What they began, what we begin to see in this moment is those examples are bridge-building moments where actually God shows up and a greater thing is done. Now, this bridge-building mentality, which has to be learned and fought for within the church, is seen in the best of ways in the life of Daniel. Daniel is showing us how to live and thrive in exile. Let's start where we ended up last week. Daniel has now been given the dream of the king and also the interpretation. So he's not going to be executed. His friends are not going to be executed. And all the wise men of Babylon will not be executed. In other words, God has not left. God is still in control. And what absolute love that Daniel would spare the life even of his enemies. 
It says in Daniel 2.24, Then Daniel went to Arioch, who, who the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king. I will interpret the dream for him. So Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. So the executioner rushes Daniel back into the king's presence and notice what the guard does. He takes advantage. I found Daniel. Not true. I brought him the first time. I want to bring him to you again. I want glory. I want better standing. I want the king's favor. I want my personal platform to grow. I'm the one that found the guy that can do the impossible. I want temporal praise from a short-term, out-of-control king. Eric's hope and want, this is his play, but notice Daniel in this rags to riches moment from literal I'm going to die to the best of life moment he's about to be given. Notice what he does because it is already here a lesson for us as we thrive in exile. The king asked Daniel, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician, diviner can explain to the king the mystery he is asked about. But, oh, but there's a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He is showing King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you are laying in bed are these. Already at this moment, we begin to see the difference between God and the gods of the nations, God and the gods of Babylon, God and the gods of the king. Was the dream important? Oh, absolutely. Was the interpretation important? Profoundly. Was Daniel's openness to God critical? Yes. Was the fervent open prayers of the small connect group with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego critical? Yes. But that is not the real story. And notice what Daniel did. Daniel could have built his own brand here brilliantly. I'm so much better than all the other wise men and enchanters and magicians and diviners. Look at me. I did, did what the best and brightest could not. If the guard took advantage, Daniel should take advantage more. Remember what the text has told us. Daniel is young. Daniel is profoundly good looking. He is smart. The king has declared him 10 times smarter than the rest. And he says, I have done the impossible. Oh, and I know God. And since I can make the impossible possible, if there's ever a moment, moment to build a personal brand and to get ahead. If there's any moment in North American society where we'd go, now is the time to make myself famous. It is now. And Daniel will have nothing to do with it. In this great moment of temptation, he will not touch God's glory. He simply says, the only difference between me and all the other people is not my looks, not my learning. It's not that I walk in the power of the supernatural. It is the source of my information. It is the one I know. He chose to knew, know me. Daniel, when he was 100% in the spotlight and would have everything at his fingers, God is actually exalted, and he chooses not to exalt himself. He says, God is the great revealer of mysteries. He's the God of heaven. He's the God above all gods. He's the author of time. He's uncreated. He has no beginning or end. In this moment, Daniel chooses to witness to the greatest king on earth who has the ability to kill him and says, God is better than me. And oh, by the way, great king, God is greater than you. And I give God, the God of Israel, the highest honor and you, great king, secondary honor. He says in verse 29, as your majesty was laying there, your mind turned to things to come. Oh, and the revealer of mystery showed me what was going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I, am great, I have greater wisdom than anyone else, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. 
Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. This is a God-given vision. This is a supernatural disruption. It was so great, awesome, fear-inspiring, and overwhelming, it caused the most powerful man on earth to be filled with panic, anxiety, and fear. Now, Daniel keeps going, and in in detail, he outlines the dream he had no access to. The impossible is now being done. He said, the head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, and legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. Now notice, there's an order from most expensive to cheap and ordinary, but it's not just the statue that was concerning or overwhelming to the king. It is what happened next that caused the king great fear. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, and not from human hands. It struck the statue on the feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, then the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken into pieces and became like chaff on the threshing floor in the summer. And the wind swept them all away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. In other words, the king says, I'm the statue in his head. Am I about to die? Is my empire about to be destroyed? Will I be replaced? Am I about to be assassinated? Am I about to be killed? Do I no longer have the backings of the gods? This is like inspired fear. And notice the rock isn't from a human source. And it has the power, whatever this rock is, to break every single kingdom, weakest to strongest, and it blows everything away. But the rock stays, and the rock will places, and the rock fills the whole earth. And don't miss that, because Nebuchadnezzar owned the whole earth in his mind, but this rock now fills it. Now, the king does not know this, but we who have the story of God from beginning to end actually begin to see what's really happening. Number one, this is a declaration that there is only one true living God, uncreated, And one of the names of God used by the Israelites is being revealed here. The God of Israel was called the everlasting rock. He was also called living rock, rock of Israel, rock of my salvation, rock of my strength, rock that begot you, the stone of Israel and the stone of stumbling. The psalmist put it like this in Psalm 18.2, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, my horn of salvation, my stronghold. Now don't miss this. The Lord my rock is not just a description about what God does. The Lord my rock is a name of God himself. So what is being declared? God, God the rock, God of Israel is sovereign and he's in control no matter the power, person, or place. God is always stronger, but there's more. When you read the whole Bible, to, Bible from cover to cover, when Jesus himself comes on the scene and he is confronted by the religious leaders of his day about his claims and his teachings, Jesus himself starts using this very name and this very image. In Luke 20, 17, it says, Jesus looked at the religious leaders directly and asked them, then what is the meaning of which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken into pieces. Anyone who falls on it will be crushed. And the teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest Jesus immediately because they knew he had spoken this parable against them. Why did they want to arrest Jesus? Why did they want to kill Jesus? Because they knew by Jesus' claims he was claiming to be equal with God the rock, which is blasphemy and evil unless you are God in flesh. 
Even Peter, years later, near the end of his life, wrote these book, this book, 1 Peter. And listen to the description of Jesus in 1 Peter 2.6. For in the Old Testament it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen, precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in Jesus will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected have become, has become a capstone. And a stone that causes men to stumble. And a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message which is also what they were destined for. See, for us, if you're a Christian here today, Jesus is our cornerstone, and he's the rock of our faith and the rock of ages. He is so precious and valuable and costly and dear to us. He gives you dignity. He breaks the power of shame and overrides guilt. He is immovable. He is the center. That is why Jesus is called in the scriptures the rock. But notice, just like we see predicted in Daniel, proclaimed by Jesus and affirmed by Peter, Jesus cannot be bypassed. He's too big. He fills the whole earth. The stone is too large to avoid or walk away from. Think about the most famous verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes on Jesus will not die but have everlasting life. People love quoting this verse, but they don't keep reading. Read verse 18. Whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in Jesus stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Well, Daniel keeps going. He says, this was the dream, and now we'll interpret it for the king. Your majesty, you're the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands, he's placed all of humanity and the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You, Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. And this would have caused great relief for Nebuchadnezzar. In other words, I'm not going to be destroyed, at least not yet. But then Daniel says something so shocking. He says, but why are you Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar? Why are you what you are? Because of your military, your might, your wisdom, your gods, your strategy? You, no, no, no. My God, a God you don't even know, in, know of, a God that you do not even worship, a God you do not even honor, actually a God you think you defeated when you captured my people, my God has placed you here. So you're secure not because of who you are. You're secure because of my God has decided you're going to be secure. Wow. After you, another kingdom will arise inferior to yours, then a third kingdom, one of bronze, they'll rule over the whole earth. Finally, there'll be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, as iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. And just as you saw the feet and toes were partially baked of clay and partially of iron, this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. And the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. And everyone's going, what the heck is going on? I'm totally lost. This is so weird. It's okay. This is predictive prophecy. 
God, who is over time and space, tells Daniel to tell Nebuchadnezzar not only about his life, but the future. And this is exactly what happened, not just within the Bible, but within human history. The head of gold is Nebuchadnezzar. The Babylonian Empire, historians tell us, lasts 70 years. Then the arms and the chest of silver become the Mede-Persian Empire. It lasts 200 years, but not as strong as Babylon. And then the time of bronze comes. Alexander the Great comes under the scene and conquers, notice, the whole known world. It lasts 130 years. And never forget, the Greek Empire was at the height of the what? Bronze Age. And then the legs of iron come, the Roman Empire. The Western version lasts to 476 AD, the Eastern version to 453. Rome would overcome and swallow all of these empires. Greece, at the heart of the Bronze Age, is replaced by Rome. And one of the main reasons why Rome has tactical advantage, historians tell us, is because they were the first ones to truly harness iron, which gave them military, architectural, and building advantage. Advantage. Rome was known for its architecture, its military, but also its iron rule and iron wit. The Roman world lasts a thousand years, but as it expanded and as it grew old and more and more cultures and more and more governments were infused into Rome, though the military was strong and they gave us Latin and the government was organized, they also became such a mixed community that in time, like iron and pottery, they broke apart and began to decay and die. This is predictive prophecy. This is showing us that the God of Daniel, and if you're a Christian, that is the God that you worship, is above time and space, that God is in control. And by the way, just as a side note, this is also a very strong reason why this book is greater than Shakespeare or any great book on earth, because God is the author of this book, and God multiple times in his scriptures predicts the future, and it comes true. If you want to know who God is, trust in this book, for he actually wrote this so we can know who he is. Well, Daniel comes back once again and he closes the conversation by saying, in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it, it itself will endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out from a mountain, not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron and the clay, the bronze and the clay, the silver, the gold into pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and the interpretation is trustworthy. Now this is incredible. Right at this moment, under the power of the Holy Spirit, as Daniel is interpreting and telling Nebuchadnezzar what he had dreamed, what he is really predicting is the coming of Jesus and the kingdom that Jesus will bring. Was not Jesus born during the time of Rome? And did he not, when he was born, actually bring an everlasting kingdom that will never end? I mean, what do we do? We're going to celebrate Christmas in a few weeks. I bought two Christmas trees yesterday, just saying that. And as we prepare, what do we always start Christmas with? It's the famous prophecy from Isaiah. Isaiah 9-6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. Anyone singing in their head? And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and the greatness of his government and peace. There will be what? no end. He will reign on David's throne and over this kingdom, over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. When Jesus is born, the kingdom that's going to replace all kingdoms shows up with the king. What did Gabriel say to Mary? 
the little teenage girl, he said, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus and he will be great and he'll be called the son of the most high God and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's throne, descendants forever and his kingdom will what? Never end. So not only is God, God the rock, fully revealed in Jesus, but the story of his forever kingdom is predicted and also we get a sense of Jesus's overwhelming power. Listen to Psalm 2. Psalm 2 was written as a prediction for the Messiah, the King of the Jews. It says in Psalm 2-7, and I will proclaim Yahweh, God's decree. God has said to me, you are my son, today I have become your father. You ask me, I'll make the nations your inheritance, and the ends of the earth, they'll be your possession. You'll break them with a rod of iron, and you'll dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, you be wise." Be warned, you rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear. Celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son, or he be angry, and your way will lead to your destruction, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. But blessed are those who take refuge in him. At the end of the Bible, Jesus speaking to churches just like us in Turkey, in the book of Revelation, listen to what Jesus says about what he has been given and what he will give Christians. Revelation 2.18, these are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give them authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. Oh, and how does all of history end? When Jesus comes back, his second coming, it ends with God's kingdom winning and every other political nation disappearing, vanishing, and Jesus sitting on his Father's throne, judging the world. Revelation 20, 11, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated upon it and the earth and the heavens fled from his presence. There was no place for them and I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before the throne and the books were open. Another book was opened, which is the book of life and the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. This is the moment where all kingdoms are crushed. This is the end of things when all of history is blown away and who lasts? Jesus lasts. And what's so shocking, so wonderful, so terrifying about this, this declares that Jesus is the one that every single person will face at the end of time who sits on his father's throne. Every great person and every small person, every governmental official, every business leader, every family member, every military official, every religious leader, all the known and unknown, forgotten and famous will all face Jesus himself, the rock, the one who brings the kingdom that is greater than all the other kings. And notice, Jesus fills the whole earth in the end and everything else is blown away. King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel, paid him honor, ordered offering and incense be presented to him. And then the king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of all kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Now why are we doing this series? We're sitting basically the GTA in 2018 trying to learn how to be faithful followers of Jesus in a time where actually this is not in vogue. So let me say this for a fourth week in a row, and it matters. Because one of the greatest things that's a threat to any human being in any environment, let alone as a Christian, is this. It's fear. What do we learn from Daniel? God's sovereignty is at the center 
of the story. Daniel's God knows the future. Daniel's God is above time and space. He's the author of time. He raises people up and he brings them down. The way you live your life in real freedom, the way that you are not washed away by fear in 2018 or how long you live, the way we also choose not to compromise when we're told that we need to, the way we thrive in exile is that we confess and we also believe and we live knowing that this is God's world and when everything's changing around us, we do not fear. God is not wringing his hands. God's not walking upstairs going, what do I do? God is in charge and in the end, God will make all things right. Can anyone say amen to that? He will make all things right. Sovereignty, your understanding of God's beautiful, loving control will be the only thing that keeps you faithful when you're called to compromise. But here's a deeper thing if you're a Christian here today. Aren't you so glad that the rock that will overcome all nations, the one who sits on the Father's throne, the one who inherited the Father's kingdom that never ends, the one that's gonna judge every single person is your friend. When is the last time you sat down and had a Starbucks and thought about the judgment of the world? Hmm, let's have a thought. God is going to return, and every human being that has ever lived will be judged by a holy, loving God. And that day, when Jesus splits the sky, your friend, your brother, your high priest, your savior, your king, your advocate, your judge is coming back. And that day, when everything is stripped back, many, most, it will be a day of terror. For those who did not believe in the existence of God, they will realize they're wrong. For those who are deeply religious that did not exalt Jesus to his proper place or did not believe him, it will be even more terrifying. But for us, because of the mercy and grace of God, when Jesus comes home, it will be a homecoming for us. Aren't you so glad that the rock does not crush you, but becomes your salvation? This is so important that you catch this. And you need to realize in 2018 in Canada, God is sovereign. God the Father is sovereign. Jesus who sits at his right hand is sovereign. The Holy Spirit is sovereign. So live under this truth and you will know that when everything is blown away in this life or in the next, you actually have a rock. It's the old hymn some of us used to sing where Christ the solid rock, what? I stand. All other ground is what? Sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Don't lose perspective. Don't be on social media 24-7 and be consumed by the garbage and the tra trauma and the news cycle. God is over all of that. God is in the middle of all of that. God wins. Take hope. Here's the other thing we need to catch. How do we thrive in exile well? How do we not retreat when we feel we need to? How do we reach out to apathy and hostility? Well, here's how we do it. We actually do it through bridge building. Daniel provides a master class in this for us. Daniel uses the dream as a bridge to witness to a pagan king about God. This has always been the way God calls his people to do this. Not to laugh at people or dismiss them, but to find bridges to talk about the true living God. I mean, this is exactly what Paul did in his generation in Athens. It reads like this in Acts 17.22. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, oh, I see that in every way you're very religious. I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship. I even found an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. Now what you worship is something unknown. I'm now going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it 
is the Lord of heaven and earth, and he does not live in temples built by hands. Therefore, since we are all God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design or skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere, every nation, to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all people by raising Jesus from the dead. You're saying, well, John, what's the point? Here's the point. Don't run from your neighbors. Run to them. And don't run away from weird or unusual things. Run to the weird and the unusual. Daniel uses the supernatural as a bridge to talk about God. Never forget, 90 to 95% of the world is religious or spiritual. Most people believe in a God or many gods or the supernatural or dreams or Ouija boards or miracles or angels, fill in the blank. Use those things to talk about the real God, the real power, the real healer. Don't dismiss the unusual. Don't run away from the weird. Use supernatural experience to talk to them about the better, the more beautiful. Take them to God. Bridges are everywhere. Listen, I am so glad that we are a nation that is great with immigrants coming from the world. I'm so glad that we're a generous, kind nation. Our nation is now full of people who are Muslims. Muslims believe in Jesus as a prophet. They have high esteem for him. They do not believe he's the son of God. They do not believe he died on the cross, and they're wrong about that. But let me tell you, there is a bridge between us and Muslims because we both believe only in one God, and they have reverence for Jesus. Start your conversation with Muslims there. Witches believe in power. We believe in power. Our power is just stronger and more pure. Don't be a jerk about it, but talk to them about it. New Agers believe in angels. It's all over the place. Well, we believe in angels too. Start the conversation there. Spiritual people filling indigo and chapters are looking for healing and purpose and self-help books. Well, we believe in healing and we have purpose. Start there. Any Jewish person you know, Orthodox or not, they will, in tradition or out of faith, use the Old Testament. I'm a guy who's immigrated from Scotland who's preaching out of Daniel the prophet, for goodness sakes, in 2018. Use the Old Testament and point them to Jesus right there. Toronto is filled with people that call themselves Christians in name only. They might own a Bible. They might wear a cross. They might go to church at Christmas or Easter. They might come from a nation that's Christian, so they're Christian. They might be afraid of their grandmother because their grandmother prays and she scares them. However it works, here's the point. There are so many bridges between us and them. I love sitting with people who grew up in more mainline traditions and talking to them about the crucifix or the Apostles' Creed and starting the conversation. Even even every agnostic you know, an atheist, is trying to understand purpose in life through science, art, and math. Start there. Here's my point. There are bridges everywhere. And if you get so fear-consumed and so defensive as a Christian, you'll start believing that you have nothing in common with the world and you'll want to live in a monastery and hope Jesus comes back today and everyone else dies. No. No. The bridges are everywhere, and we have the great opportunity and privilege and calling and command to actually invite people to meet the true living God, to show them what they have is real but incomplete. Don't make the mistake as a Christian saying that, oh, they're not in the true faith, so everything they experience is fake, and we've got all the real stuff. No, 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 no. What they're experiencing is real. It just might not be from the best source. It's real, but incomplete. What they have is real, but it's not the best. Show them the greater love. Show them the greater holiness. Show them the greater power. Show them the healer, the savior, the purpose giver. Show them that God is a loving father. Show them that God is revealed through Jesus. Throw, show them that the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus. 
show them, but just take the time to look for the bridges because the bridges are everywhere and we're missing them as the church. Sovereignty is the underpinning of faithfulness. Bridge building is our call. Paul did it. Jesus is the ultimate bridge builder. Of course, Paul did it. Daniel did it. But here's the last thing, and this is critical. Don't get stuck on the bridge. Don't get stuck on the bridge. So many people in our culture love this phrase these days. It's not the destination, it's the journey that matters. No, no, the journey's important, but actually you need to go somewhere. Go across the bridge. So many people who are trying to reach out are getting so excited about so many bridges, they're observing the style of bridges and forgetting that if you don't cross the bridge, you still are lost forever. Don't get stuck on the bridge. Walk people across the bridge like Daniel predicted and Paul preached. Point to Jesus Christ, the rock, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the king of the kingdom, the giver of life. Paul put it like this in 1 Corinthians 1.23, but we preach Jesus Christ crucified, a stumbling block for Jews, foolishness to non-Jews, but to those whom God has called, both Jew and Greek, Jesus Christ is the power of God and he is the wisdom of God. See, no thinking, deeply religious person, scientific, spiritual, fill in the blank, will naturally embrace and run across the bridge completely to love and understand the cross. Non-Jews want power, beauty, ideas, external strength, spirituality, education. Jews, Muslims, Hindus, fill in the blank, want Jesus to fit into their theological box. Many secular people think they can outthink God or be smarter than God or think their way up to God. But as one guy once said, God is out of reach. There's no wising up to God. Wisdom is giving up your own wisdom. See, that is why it's the end, not the journey, that matters the most. C.S. Lewis, who many of us have read, brilliantly said these words so long ago that are so important when we talk about bridge building. He says, an impersonal God in our culture, well and good. A subjective God of beauty, truth, goodness inside our own heads, all better still. A formless life force surging through us, a vast power which we can tap into, oh, best of all. But God himself, oh, alive, pulling at the other end of the courts, perhaps approaching at an infinite speed, hunter, King? Husband? Oh, that's quite a different matter. There comes a moment when children who've been playing at burglars suddenly hush and wonder, is that a real footstep I heard in the hall? There also comes a moment when people who've been dabbling in religion suddenly draw back and realize, supposing we maybe really found him. Oh, we never meant it to come to that. Worse still, supposing God has actually found us. We have been placed in this country in this moment. You have been placed here in 2018 to show the world, like Daniel showed the king, who God really is. How did Daniel, this young 20-something or teenager, do it? He understood. He knew who, he, he knew who his God was. He knew. He's the rock. He not only knew that, he also knew that God was sovereign. And his understanding of sovereignty, it wasn't that Daniel was smarter or better or pulled up his bootstraps more or was more an an intuitive IQ, EQ leader. No, no. He knew God was sovereign. And Daniel is a master bridge builder where he looked for the bridge, the natural connection in conversation. And in that moment, he witnessed to the greatest man on earth about the true living God. Daniel never, when he was five years old, imagined he would be in a foreign land 
as a slave, witnessing to the greatest man on earth about God. But that's exactly how God planned it. Paul, who hated Christians, hated us, was at the first murder of the very first one of us, who wanted to throw us all in jail, radically encounters Jesus. He never thought when he was 15 years old at synagogue, he would be witnessing about the Messiah in front of the greatest intellectual leaders of his day in Athens, declaring that Jesus had been risen from the dead. God has placed you in this time, whether you have a great IQ or not, is irrelevant because you are to find the bridges all around you. You are not to dismiss things. You are to make contact, and then you are going to point people to the true living God who's found in Jesus the rock revealed by the Holy Spirit. That is why God has placed us here. And never forget, God is not upstairs going, what do we do next? He's absolutely great with what's going on, and he's going to work it all out. So would you do this across all of our sites? Would you just take a moment to pray these words? God, you are good, and you are sovereign, and I admit as a human being, I'm afraid. I'm scared. I think about my kids, my grandkids, my country, my family, fill in the blank. I... I I'm overwhelmed sometimes. I don't know. So, number one, teach us, O Lord, sovereignty. But number two, now I ask, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. And begin to give our community eyes to see the bridges that they have missed. Literally begin to reveal them, even at this moment. And would you give our church courage, 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 to start not only acknowledging the bridge, but walking people across. I just simply pray, Jesus Christ, would you send the Holy Spirit so many, many people would witness about you and that actually people would have profoundly encountered Jesus, the rock, and there would be new life in our country that's walking away from it. Amen, amen, amen.